Hi there, this is Greg Legro. And this is Jamie Dew. Of Fully and Completely. Um, You're listening to... <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fully and Completely. My name is Greg Legro. I'm here as always with Jamie Dew. How hey. are you? Hey, how are you? I'm great because we're going to be going through the entire discography of the Tragically Hip album by album in chronological order, discussing uh, the production, the songs, track by track. We're going to talk about the climate uh, of Canadian culture at the time, pop culture at the time, music at the time, what was going on when the album came out. To give you some context of the release era, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some sports too, just because it's fun. Uh, and we're going to explore the uh, never-ending road of the uh, obsessive fandom of this amazing, amazing band. Uh, so here we are with Live Between Us. I was just going to say, is it Live Between Us? Is or it Live Between Us? Because the mural is Live Between Us. It is. Which, you know... Yeah, I like what again. There's a many. Uh, there's no uh, tragically hip story that doesn't have a. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, true. that's true. You know, I don't know so what he's talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this band so. is so good at answering questions. Yeah. It's like lost. Yeah, you know. Uh, same thing with like. Here's a dumb one for you. Uh, there's a live in excess album, which no one wants. I mean, I like in excess, like yeah. a lot. Yeah, but yeah. but their album was called. Live baby live, I guess. That's what it was but called. I mean, the first line of the song is "Live baby live." Oh my so is it God. "Live baby live"? Is it "Live baby live"? Got to be. It's got to be one of the two. Is it? Is it you know, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the two. <laughs> but like, the, oh. that's that's one of the least necessary live albums. I feel like. Yeah, I don't think that anybody was running out to to see no. the live except and for super, except for super fans. Like, yeah, I no. Suppose. Listen, man, I was a big NXS fan. But they weren't famous for their not for the live, live show. Work. I mean, he was a fantastic singer. Oh, but, I love him a lot. You know, I feel like we're talking about JD Fortune, right? <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, poor JD. <laughs> yeah, boy, was I into NXS. Yeah, it was a serious scene, man. Kick when uh, that record came know. out. Oh. I mean, that was that was a full decade earlier mm. than the record we're talking about today. That's right. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah 87 was a big year. And 97, 87 also, uh first uh, hip release. Oh my god. Look at that. Here they are 10 years later around? coming out with a yeah. live record. Wow. What so much happens in 10 years? A lot. EP to this. Holy shit. This is uh album number this is album number 7 like if you're just counting mm-hmm. records that they've released, mm-hmm. right? Forget about EP, forget about their designation yeah. whether they're an EP or a a long play, right, or live, mm-hmm. seven records in ten years. Yeah, that's like that's, that's like a, a '60s or an early '70s band. Yeah, you know where they were just. <laughs> I feel like they, those bands must have been strapped to like uh, recording equipment or something like that, and just lashed and just record, <laughs> just record more hits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. How about that? Um, so, I mean, I've always said Live Between Us, because it's a live album. I have too, yeah. So, yeah. But and, I had to uh, ask the question. So, well, well, let's talk about the title, so everyone knows what we're sure. jibber-jabbing about here, That's if they don't know. Point. And if you had the CD, it's it, there's a little picture on that CD, on the printed disc itself. Uh, and there's a mural in Kingston yeah. of that, and it's uh, in the tragically hip Live Between Us. That's right. And uh, that was painted by former member... Who wasn't allowed to go on tour? Basically, I mean that's a little trite way of saying it, but he was kind of had to choose between the lady or the band. That's right. And touring, Davis Manning. Yeah. Yes. Oh and man! Like yeah. what a decision he made. Yeah, yeah. 
Now he's the Pete Best of uh, he is Canadian. The, he is the Pete rock Best. and roll culture, and uh, I'm sure he he loved to mimic the um, the famous. Uh, um, oh my gosh, hold on. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. man, I'm trying to tie it all together with a bow here. Oh, In excess, yeah. never tears apart. Oh. Saxophone solo. Oh because yeah, because he was a fucking saxophone player. Yeah, bonkers. Yeah, which what? Can you, <laughs> like I heard that. I was like, they had a who? I knew they listened to, um, you know, the garage era, yeah, sixties R and B kind yeah. of thing, yeah, yeah. But the saxophone pieces is really yeah. confounding to me. I just, I know, um, and the saxophone died a hard death <laughs> right really around did. this time. You know, like that was a no, 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 get it the fuck out, and it's barely recovered. The saxophone is <laughs> 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 it as a popular instrument because <laughs> it was too popular. That really? Is, uh, yeah, absolutely. Think of every movie in the '80s. If some like tough cop guy had to have a sensitive side, he had a saxophone. <laughs> he would just like sit down in the middle of the movie, like you know, like when he was thinking, "Ugh, cop thoughts at home." He'd take out his sax to show oh his sensitive. Oh my god! It's like uh, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're fucking with me right I, now. I, absolutely, the sax was like the thing. It was a cool instrument, and it was in every song in the world throughout the '80s. Dennis Quaid plays one in Dreamscape for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it's, he doesn't actually play saxophone, so it's just like dubbed over and it looks terrible. Oh, man. Yeah, it's very silly. Um, it was a very yeah, cool, man. 
doesn't uh oh there's some movie reference I'm 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 letting slip through my fingers here. But anyway, and then everyone's like, no, 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 no more saxophones. Get them out of here. You know, unless you're morphine, you can slide by because it's so moody. Um, and it's like slowly come back. You can like have a little sax way in the back, but no cool sax guy. There's no Clarence Clemens in any other band. You know, it's a it's all over for the sax. Overkill. Wow. Anyway, Rest so in yeah, I peace. mean, even if he had said, "I'll be there," eventually they were going to have to sit him down and have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that Saturday Night Live sketch. There just aren't that many tragically hip songs that feature a saxophone. (laughs) (laughs) I was having to work it in. Like, uh, how are we going to sax into Grace 2? All right. uh, Sorry, we had a bridge here. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Oh, man. Yeah, saxophone. Um, I was in a band with a saxophone when I was in high school. Really? Yeah. What do you play? What? (laughs) What? Yeah, I did. I was the singer in the band. Oh, okay. When you know, you know what it's really hard to do is compete with a saxophone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that doesn't stop playing through the whole song. We didn't know what we were doing. It's really, it just kept going, and I had to try and I didn't know how to sing either. So I was like, I guess I'll just yell over this horn. <laughs> 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 it's just terrible. Well, uh, anyway, um, so uh, that's what the name is. It's a nice little nod to their uh, former bandmate and friend, uh, and it's just a cool, another little cool thing to slide in. Absolutely, like, is, yeah. Uh, you know, never forgetting where you come from. Um, yeah, and so this came out in May, May 24th, May 2-4 weekend of 1997. Right. Wow. What a great time to drop it, you know? Oh, my God. And uh, this is, I mean, this is kind of... Uh, they could kind of phone it in if they wanted to from this point on. They've nailed it down. Even if they never put out another good record, the run they've just had, they're so embraced by the country, they could just phone it in from this point. And that's, you know, and you get the live album at the stage, like maybe it's followed by a greatest hits, and you, you never know. Because the, the, the climate of music in North America, everywhere, is changing aggressively in 1997 absolutely we're starting aggressively to the dream landscape. of the 90s is really changing it is we talked about the the hangover uh of the 90s with the uh, the last album with uh uh trouble at the hen house but so l- let's the, some of the music going on in 1997 like the big big records the biggest of the big of course uh okay computer radiohead and this is the big game changer too and not not only a near perfect release and still sounds fucking great, but like this was the shift. This is the this is now the biggest thing going on. This is the most respected thing going on, and it is radically different from even Radiohead's previous catalog. But what's going on in rock? Yes. Like the, yes. the Brit thing changes, you know, and it's it's really heady. It's really smart. It's got wild production going on, and you know we're starting to shift into another area because the other big albums in 1997 are the Fat of the Land from the Prodigy. Dig Your Own Hole, The Chemical Brothers. Uh, Wu-Tang's got Wu-Tang forever, but we're getting like further away. Like Things are starting to change. Electronica really comes to the forefront. Uh, Urban Hymns by The Verve is a big hit, so we're getting a big UK push again. In fact, most of the stuff is import that's really, really big. The Boatman's Call and The Cave in the Bad Seats, uh, which is a devastating album. Oh, my God, is it good. Um, Blur uh, with the self-titled which has song two, obviously, is a big, big hit. Um, and uh, you, you now, you know, 
the Foo Fighters, Color and the Shape is this year. And that's when that, that, that fun, you know, it's not just a side project anymore. It's not just, hey, look at Dave Grohl from Nirvana released a record. It's got multiple hit singles on it, and it really cements like, well, this is a thing now. I love that record. It's really good. Yeah. It's, I think, the best one, although I'm not really a Foo Fighters fan. Oh, no? Like, I like that they're there, but I can't get into it. Hmm. There's something I just can't, I just can't, I don't want to, I, I don't know. To me, it's like the last foot in the door for, um, you know, like 4-4 four, four, like yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it's really good. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't have a problem with it. Sure. It just doesn't, it just doesn't fit into my thing. No, that's okay. I don't, I don't so, know. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, if there were, if there were two, two doors, like you, you yeah. walked into the Radiohead door. Yeah, yeah, it's 100%. Like from a rock and roll I was, Yeah, that's where I was. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'd rather enjoy I mean, I love Everlong like a motherfucker. That is a. Sure. Oh, it's boy. Great, and that great, great video, too. Yeah. So good. Beautiful song. Um. But I mean, so and Spice World is this year too. How about that? Um, the Charlottes telling stories and stuff like this is so we're we're really moving away, you know. And like and the Titans who are left are like Metallica doing, you know, reload, reload, right? <laughs> Just what's going on? And I, and we're moving into like the big hit rock bands now, or if they are American or the Foo Fighters, or it's the Offspring continuing to be huge. Sure. Ixnay on the Ombre. Yeah. Remember when they were like that was a top ten band. Remember that? Well, that's a weird time. <laughs> When's yeah. the last time you listened to "Pretty Fly for a White Guy"? It's been that's a lot. It's been that's a it's crazy been, song to it's be. Been a some hit. time. That it's song been is some time. terrible. Yeah, oh but that's God. but it was really becoming <clears throat> cookie cuttery or yeah, something. I don't even know how to say it. Well, like, all of the because we're like, okay, we want rock and roll. Like rock is pop, like guitar based music is still a chart thing, but it's getting like we've moved the artistry out of it. You know, if you, unless you're the the anomaly. You're either established enough that you can do whatever you want because you're Radiohead, or you've been, you know, coasting around on the outsides and you can suddenly have a home run like the Verve. But like, what they want for like mass consumption, big shit, like this, it's Ixnay on the Hombre Offspring stuff, you know, like that's what, why, like Smash Mouth is right around the corner here, and you know, that whole fucking thing, or like, and that God. fastball song, you know, right. <laughs> that stuff you know that's this that that's what happens and that's you know the the almost the end of guitar based music because this is disposable shit wow disposable who wants to listen like i mean i know that maybe you get drunk and have a nostalgic moment with pretty fly for a white guy sometime in your life but i mean come on what's that song for (laughs) (laughs) no i yeah i i and I'm sure they're all nice fellows and stuff in that band, but wow. No, I heard on the radio the other day, and I'm like, this is music. <laughs> this, is, this, sold, this sold so many copies. People I wonder if it did, bam. though, because that's, that's the thing that's it interesting to me. It was fucking huge. But, but I feel like it, by 1997, fucking huge was different. Mm. Fucking huge was, was Color and the Shape, which probably sold mm. the most albums of any rock album that year, or mm-hmm. no, Radiohead would have, sure. for sure. But even Radiohead, Radiohead yeah. was, they were never going to be U2. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way no, at all. No, no, I just mean the- I, I bet you dollars to donuts, U2 sure wishes they were Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, it just seems like there was a time really close to this, like 1994, for heaven's mm-hmm. sake, where you could release a record and you'd put a certain band's label on the front of it and yeah. it would it would sell five million copies. Yeah. Like platinum was was fine, but like so many records that we grew up with that were so part of you know that we've already talked about mm-hmm. were five million plus. You yeah. know? Oh yeah. And, and now the idea of hitting being a rock band and hitting a million yeah. um in, in America 
is next to impossible to imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, because we have everything in front of us. I guess, yeah. And you had to buy. So that's the thing, too. I think it's funny. Like, you know, you had to really choose what you wanted. I did. You know, I'd be able to get that one album every once in a while, spend my $10.34 and buy my record. And by 1997, you could burn and return. That's right. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, you could. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know. Something like Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Like, a lot of people bought that, and I think that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) No offense if you did. It's fine. I bought bought some bad records, man. There's some embarrassing stuff in my past. Oh, I I have... a litany of it, and some mm-hmm. of it I still have a lot of time for. You sure. know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. certain songs, like yeah, I can, yeah. I can still just cue it up and go, "Oh, yeah. this is terrible." But yeah, I love yeah. it. But I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's not been that long since I listened to an NXS album. I'll tell you that too. <laughs> oh man, <clears throat> I got some time for listening like thieves. Um, <clears throat> uh, other things going on in 1997. It's still uh, one last thing. I just yeah, yeah. Say what this. do you got? What do you got? Do you remember when it used to take you five minutes to go through all the records? Yeah. And we'd be like, oh, what an embarrassment. Yeah. Like, well, embarrassment the early purchases. 90s is yeah. disgusting. Is, you just you just named like six records. Yeah, and, yeah. Because you of, get it. And one of them was like you found it at a yard sale. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, that was it. Yeah. But there, there, it is significant to look at the three huge electronic albums, Fatherland, Prodigy, Dig Your Own, Home, Own Hole, Chemical Brothers, and Homework, Daft Punk, which was a game changer. That wasn't really my thing. I owned, I only owned Chemical Brothers, and I think that's a pretty good record. It's really interesting, and it has a scope and a shape to it. Prodigy, there's sort of a Prodigy that just didn't do it yeah, for me. N- none of it. And really I mean, it sounds extra silly now. But I do remember, I do remember that Prodigy and and I think Chemical Brothers both headlined Lollapalooza that year. Uh, oh yeah, that's when they went all. Yeah, you know, well, like they, it was they the were with the time. Yeah, like, and or, 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 orbital or the orb. The orb. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was like Veld or something. Yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. Oh, Oasis, be here now. Here's the thing for you. Yeah, I, I don't that know. was a terrible record. I don't care. For even that even if you like Oasis, you have to say that was a pretty bad. Yeah, record. yeah. And then and then yeah, I mean the other stuff is like oh that was then you know like the the, the big Hanson album, but this is the shift into pop That's too. That's right. Yes. Hanson, Spice World. This is all paving the way for we're about to hit Backstreet like hard, right? That's going to change everything. All right, but, you know, i gotta got to just mention 1997, Pavement, right in the corners. Oh, it's a great record. It's a great I love record. that record. And, Damn. And the Ben Folds record. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the Backstreet Boys was this year, too. This is the beginning. Oh, God. Of yeah. that. I so guess see, Brit- Britney's ne- next year, maybe? Must have been. Must have been. Okay. Yeah. Unless I'm not sure. Well, but yeah, it's, it's changing hard, right? Like, because everyone's burned out. Like, and a lot of, these, all, a lot of the bands are done. You know, uh, Pearl Jam won't make videos anymore, so they've fallen away from like heavy public uh, view. Um, Soundgarden's done. Nirvana's gone. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, like, really in a void at this point. They have a comeback with that Sour Girl song, but that's not until like 2000, 2000 2001. Raising right around like there, yeah. Something yeah, like I the don't turn know. of the century. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. when he started doing that wacky dancing and stuff, and everyone was like, what's happening? <laughs> if only we had known. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so it's 1997. We're still in the, uh, the Chrétien, uh, stage. Uh, I got a couple things though to talk about for what was going on. Um, most of little like sports tidbits for you. The, uh, the Grey Cup, which I love talking about. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I do too. The Grey, yeah, it's a good time. Grey Cup, 85th Grey Cup, uh, the uh, Toronto Argonauts victorious over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Saskatchewan. 
with Triangle. Rough Riders. The uh, only Rough Riders in the league at this point, I, I believe. Uh, has the change happened? I think Ottawa has mm, went 97? defunct. Is it? Oh, oh, yeah, because this is when we brought in all the American teams yeah. and everything got all fucked up. Yeah. Uh, they win the game 47 to 23. Just a shellacking because the most valuable uh, player. Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie. Doing his uh, going to every team and getting him a cup. That's right. Thing where he did. Go landing in Toronto and just lit things up. Uh, halftime show. Trooper. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Where did they play the game? Uh, in Edmonton. Wow. They were Commonwealth Stadium. They were spoiled uh, up there in Trooper, Championship City. Trooper. Still going in 1997. Here for a good time, not for a long time. They were That's wrong. That's a total fucking lie, <laughs> That's man. Right. These guys are still going today. They have been here for a long time. <laughs> Um, and Doug Flutie won the MVP, and w- when you get that, uh, they give you a uh, uh, a Dakota. They give you a, a truck. Oh, wow, yeah. really? Dodge Dakota. But uh, while uh, receiving it, uh, Doug Flutie handed the keys to uh, the game's most valuable Canadian, uh, Paul Masati, and just gave him the keys, and he's like, you can have it, because I won one of these last year. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he already got the MVP truck the previous year. Here you have this. Like, he's gonna, have to, drive, he's gonna have to drive me around, though. Yeah, it was supposed to be played in Baltimore. This game, but the uh, Baltimore Stallions relocated to Montreal, and that's how we got the Alouettes back, or back, or got the Alouettes anyway. Um, uh, so everything was. This is the shakeup period. We at least have Flutie in there to like really maintain a whole yeah. lot of like heavy interest in the breakup. Right. But you know, this American thing fucking failed, and it's all goofy. But it's, this is the last like. Get it out of the way, and it's gone, you know? Man, I wonder being. how Trooper would have went over in Baltimore. <laughs> they like that song, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I learned something about myself driving. Uh, uh, I, you know, when you're, if you don't have choice over your music and you're just listening to the radio, I, I, I had two discoveries, um, and it made me think of that. Um, you're, you're flipping through stations while you're trying to just like whatever I can handle listening to. I would just turn the radio off. I have to have something on. And the first thing I learned was I was on one station, and it was Chilliwack. <laughs> I don't know why I grouped them together. Anyway, it was Chilliwack, and I was like, eh. And I went over to some other station, and it was Green Day, and I was like, I'll take Chilliwack. And I went back to Chilliwack. <laughs> so I was like, I realized, I guess I prefer Chilliwack to Green Day. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's a, that's a thing for sure. And, what a patriot uh, you are. Yeah. And then I, uh, I got sick of Chilliwack. Uh, and I was like, I'll try again. I went to another station, Trooper. Get the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. And I stayed on Trooper. So Chilliwack will trump Green Day. But Trooper apparently trumps Chilliwack. So do I like Trooper more than Green Day? I, don't, I couldn't I tell you. I think so. But <laughs> this is a very complicated game of Euchre. I know. It's really confusing. <laughs> it's like, anyway. I don't understand. Which one's the Good for them. Power? They're still having a good time for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah. What else What else to talk about in 1997? Is there anything else we need to? Oh, how about the, uh, you know, uh, the hockey games? What have we got here in 97? I didn't even look this one up. I'm doing it on the fly. On the fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As they say. 1997, Stanley Cup Finals. I feel like it's nothing to do with Canada. No, because it's done. Canada was done in 93. It's the Red Wings, like, yeah. (coughs) Yeah, Red Wings winning over Philadelphia. Okay, that was was supposed to be Eric Lindros. He was supposed to, I think that might have been his last kick at the can there. uh, Yep, yep, Philadelphia, Eric Lindros, and uh, Steve Yeiserman's. Uh, Detroit team. Yeah. Really good Detroit team. Really, really very good. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's not so good, you know. When, as I'm a kind of a fair weather hockey 
well, really just a Leafs guy, and then Blackhawks, and then beyond that, it's like if there isn't a Canadian team in the playoffs, I I really can't keep up. Got other things to do. <laughs> so this is like I'm like, yeah, no, no Canadian teams are getting there. I'm like, that's ah, a bummer, and I don't like the Flyers. So, <laughs> so that was a that was a that <laughs> was a bum lost. year. Take that four games. Bye. Oh wow. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That was a yeah. So there you go. Then. The referees were Bill McCreary. <laughs> Big Bill. Terry Gregson. Big Bill McCreary. Gary Frazier. Oh All God. of them are clickable on Wikipedia. I just want you to know. Gary <laughs> <Carrie> Frazier, <laughs> he of the uh, dynamite dynamite mm. hair. Yeah, yeah. Didn't wear a helmet. Hey, did I, t- I, t- I mentioned this to you, but I'll just tell it real quick because I'm talking about hockey and just how neat this is. I was at work talking to a friend of mine that I work with, and we were talking about the hip, and then we were talking about 50 Mission Cap, and he's like, funny story, uh, uh, Bill Barilko, you know, famous goal, you know, when when's the Leaf the Cup? Uh, that goal, the last one he ever scored, my buddy at work, his grandfather got the assist on that goal. Fuck, that's his so grandfather cool. is Whipper Watson. Uh, yeah, Hockey Hall of Famer. He won four, uh, four Stanley Cups. Um, yeah, it's like he is. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And the, you know the famous shot of Barilko oh, getting yeah. that goal? Yeah. It's always a tight one. If you blow it up, there's a bigger picture there. If you blow up the, and you see everyone, and you can see Whipper Watson over there with, you know, from giving the assist, and it's great. It's like a cool thing. I was like, well, that's, dude, that's insane. <laughs> that's <laughs> really in cool. Hall of Fame won four fucking cups. Played for the uh, uh, Leafs and the Blackhawks. So they covered all my bases. I was like, God. I'm very excited about this story. What it was a very cool thing. And it's just like, he's a quiet, like, kind of cool, reserved dude. And I'm like, this is wild, man. <laughs> there's just something about celebrity that I'll just never understand. Because there's, uh. a, there's a weird portion of me right now that's just like, his grandfather's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And yeah. he won four Stanley Cups. What is this guy doing working? You know? <laughs> I don't understand. Totally. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. But but you know, it's a couple of generations. Yeah, yeah, for it's, sure. It's, you're not yeah, gonna it's pretty cool. Anyway. Um so there, there you have it. But yeah, this is uh it's nineteen ninety seven and the the climate is changing. And a lot yeah, so a live album at this stage could, you know, it could be like, All right, we you know, we're settled in, man, you know, like but uh, we'll get to we'll get to what happens next. But uh yeah, I guess we're going to get to our exciting portion of today's episode, yeah? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's we kick get, it in. We have a guest? We have a guest. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay.
good. Oh, man, my microphone keeps swinging around and around. This isn't easy to do, you know. Beautiful and smart at the same time. The only four-syllable word she knew was faster, faster. Get along! Straight down, mama, get So we've got that Eric Alper sitting next to us, and um, I think it's kind of cool that you're here to talk about the live experience because I had our research people do a bit of a, your crack research. Yes, team. Yeah. have them do a bit of work on They're you. Very good. <laughs> and the thing that I thought was really cool was um, well, one of the things I thought was really cool was your grandfather opened the first licensed blues club in yeah. the city. Yeah, called Grossman's Tavern back well, in 1948 in what? the city of Toronto, where at that time. I mean, it was really tough, first of all, to open up a venue because originally it was a cafeteria. And then he wanted to add music onto there because he thought the music was a really good way to help sell food and keep people there. That was a nightmare by the city of Toronto because Uh. they thought that that's it. The city is going to hell having live music in there. (laughs) And then when he decided to, you know, put in a liquor license, that's when it really became you were all going to hell. Are we, we're we're talking Grossman's on Spadina. On Spadina, right across the wow, street from uh, from yeah. from uh, Kensington Market. Yeah, well, I've been yeah. in there like a lot of times. Yeah, it's usually people's <laughs> yeah. first bar experience when they're like 15. They're like, oh, yeah, I had my first drink there when I was like, oh, no, I shouldn't mention that, you know. So, yeah, yeah, I have really early memories. Like, one of my first memories of... of just as a kid is like dancing around like a fool as like a six and seven year old in that venue to all the Dixieland jazz bands that yeah. used to come in on Sundays. And then it wasn't until like later, later on in my teens when I realized how influential that bar was to the careers of, you know, people like Rush and Rough Trade and Amanda Marshall and Jeff mm. Healy and Downchild Blues Band and, and several of those artists I've actually started to work and still work to this day doing the PR for them. So that was a kind of nice experience to just be talking about something that, that is so big in my family with the people that were actually there while it was happening. So what, what came first? Uh, like, I mean, the love of music obviously was, was there, but did you seek out the, the PR piece? to stay in the music area? Yeah, I have no musical talent whatsoever. (laughs) I mean, I tried. Like, I was in, like, the world's worst cover band with some of, like, really great musicians that are still playing to this day, but I was the weak part of this group. I was the drummer and I couldn't even count to four several times over. The only reason why they allowed me to play in the band was because my parents gave up the basement so we can record. So yeah, it was yeah, yeah. it was those situations where it was like, yeah, let's just keep them around until we figure something else <laughs> out. Drummers. Oh, you drummers. Drummers. Exactly. drummers that have the band. So I realized that, you know, I've always loved music, but I always I, I always saw music as, as a sense of commu- as a sense of community. I always thought that um, I, I was learning a lot about the world through music. You know, oh, I was yeah. learning about what it was like 
you know, in Toronto and what, you know, I was always looking for the reasons why things were happening the way that they are and that the way that they were. So when I was reading about the civil rights movement in the 60s in America, the music was right there. When I was learning about Woodstock, it wasn't just, you know, Crosby, Steele, Nash and Young and Jimi Hendrix. It was like, well, why did 600,000 people come in the first place? Right. And so it was kind of like that that starting point to me to learn about the economy, to learn about sociology, to learn about politics, to, to learn about gender identities, and to mm -hmm. learn about all of these different avenues of, 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 you know, learning about the blues wasn't really about the blues. It was really about, you know, the migrations of, of African-Americans going from one place to the other and the birth of electricity. Like, that's what really kick-started my love of all of this. So music to me was always a something that always led to something else. And then um, I had a radio show at York University when I was for, uh, there, and I worked at the newspaper. And then the day after, I started a record label. And oh, wow. then we started a booking agent in order to sell records that we just put out. And then we became publicists so that we can actually do PR for all the shows that we were booking. And then one day we woke up and said, you know what, let's just cut everything out and just be publicists. Mm -hmm. And I started this company with my girlfriend at the time and then got a job then working for a record label. We split and then that kind of led to me doing PR now for 25 years. Wow. So it always led to something else. So but it, it was because I had... I needed to be in this industry. I just needed sure. to find what I wanted uh, I to do. That. So yeah, you were saying being a, a kid uh, in the live experience at Grossman's, yeah. like jumping around. And that. Yeah. I think that's a great, I had a similar experience when I was a kid too, and there's something about the local music scene and seeing that some live community yeah. of musicians can really addict you to music quite a bit. My yeah. mom was a it, it's also at a, 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 music, a live music venue in, in Madison, Wisconsin called the Shuffle Inn okay. when I was little, and I right. would just be there while she worked, and I'd watch yeah. Lover boy cover bands and stuff and right. you know do romantic songs and stuff and and I would just like jump around on the stage when I was little it really romances the whole uh, idea of musicianship and the, the the community at large it really kind of you know I wound up managing a venue for nearly a decade wow um, I got really interested in that thing but it can really if I think being around the uh, music community as a youth can be really influential yeah I, I mean it, it's why I'm really really excited not only from being on this uh, on this podcast, but the album that w that we kind of selected to talk mm -hmm. about, because I remember, and, and I'll go on a little bit of a ramp, but I promise it'll all kind of circle together, <laughs> you know. Because I was thinking about this driving down here, you know, with 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 this tragically hip album and why live albums, and and mm -hmm. I remember when I was seven. Seven or eight, I saw my first concert. I was seven years old. I saw ABBA at Maple Leaf Gardens, and I went with my parents. and And I thought that experience was mind blowing because you know not only was it ABBA, and I knew at the time they were huge because I kept hearing them on the radio. Um, but when I kind of got home uh, in the weeks afterwards, I kind of rated my sister's album, mm -hmm. um, her her album collection, and she's three years older than I was. And, uh, you know, maybe when I was about 9 or 10 or 11, that's when I got into, like, The Who. But I got into The Kids Are Right and Live at Leeds and those uh -huh. live albums. And when I got into, like, the artists that I've loved the longest and still love to this day, and it was Phil Collins and Genesis. So I bought um, Phil Collins' Face Value album back in 1981. And then they put out Abacab. And right after Abacab, they took a break for about eight months, but they went out, they, before Abacab came out, they went out on tour and they released a triple album called Three Sides Live. Mm -hmm. And that was the album for me that 
made me love this band. I still know every single note on that record. And it's it the it, so it was the live albums that made me think I need to see these artists live and then go back to the original records because the records were okay for me for Genesis specifically because they weren't you know I didn't understand the Phil Collins the 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 Peter Gabriel years they were just too weird for me (laughs) but I remember as a kid it was like you're watching live music on television you're watching you know even though it was lip sync it was like you're watching American Bandstand you're watching Solid Gold you're watching all of these things and so to me, the, the whole experience of doing PR and music is really about what Charlie Watts from the Stones would say. You know, he gets paid, you know, to stand around for 22 hours. But then he really, you know, the, the two hours he gets to play on stage, that's free. You know, and I, and I understand that because the live show is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have and you can build that connection, especially now in the age of social media where everybody expects your favorite artist to post every day. Here's me with my cats. Here's me on a plane. Here's me sleeping. Here's me with my squad. Buy my single. Buy my album. The live aspect of it is really where that lifelong connection happens between fan and band or artist. You get to be in the same room with the artist that you love. And I've never forgotten about that. And so when I was a kid seeing The Who and seeing Genesis and seeing Asia and Clapton and Santana, like before Mm -hmm. I hit like 13, that was where my love of music really came from. was like, I am witnessing something. And it it wasn't being like scientific about it. It was just, I am witnessing something that I will never see again and I will never get again. And, you know, everybody around me should shut up and stop talking, you know? (laughs) Um, So when, when we started talking about this album, it's amazing that for a band that got so successful based on their live show, that they didn't even want to do a live record in the first place, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's where the excitement, I think, for this album came for me because this was the band that I've known about and loved for a decade. They finally put out a live album, and on the May 2-4 weekend back in 1997, like, how many cottages across Canada had their own personal, you know, tragically hip show on the record player or on the CD player just because of the timing of this record. All yeah. of them. All yeah. of them, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't listened to this in quite a while. And I was, the, the, the little snippets of dialogue in between, I was, they really, I was like, oh God, like I heard this a thousand times, how richer we are for seeing the Rio Statics. That's right. Like, oh, yeah. That's so great. What a great opening. We're all richer for having seen them tonight.
And for me, this was, like, I love, the live experience was a big deal for me, too, and I really love that you said that about being in the same room with your favorite artist, and it is overwhelming, mm. especially when you really, really care about a band. But I like the live experience, but I'm not typically a fan of the live album. It's, it takes so much for a live album to be interesting to me, because usually it's like, well, this is like the record, only it doesn't sound as good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. all these people, yeah, like, I wish they would shut up. <laughs> I can't hear that part, except for like, you know, there's, but there's landmark ones, the ones that, that work, and it's perfect, you know. Um, like, Stop Making Sense is heavily treated after the, uh, after the performance, you know, it is a bit sure. of a studio-manipulated live album, but it's still, it's still the performance. And that one really blew my mind, and I was really... I, you know, that was when I had all the dialogue in between songs memorized. You know, um, but this one I was really shocked because I wasn't—I hadn't seen them live yet when the oh, album wow. came out. So I was—you know—I'd heard the, the 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 myth and the mystery and the excitement. That's of, right. You know, and so even and and it, and it affected me a great deal, but it, it still didn't prepare me for what the real live experience was like. And I knew he would rant and ramble and do that thing, but they have this. This, this mythos about the live performance, and this album tries to capture it, but you can't capture something that's that untamed and that wild. You know, so Fishbone's another band like that with this explosive live show, like the yeah. craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And the albums just never... I love the Fishbone albums so like dearly, but they don't have the controlled chaos of the live show, which was like when I'd go see Fishbone yeah. shows, I'd stand there and just be like... I am seeing something absolutely insane. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world yeah. like right here, right yeah. now. And everyone who doesn't go to this is fucking stupid. Because <laughs> yeah. this is so unique. And the hip have that same thing. Now, this is a, this does capture the energy and the flow and the, almost the stream of consciousness nature of the live show, but still doesn't even fully do it. I'm not saying it's a bad live album. It's actually an excellent one. And one of the few that I listened to It a lot. was huge into Kiss Alive. Yeah. When, oh, when, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I didn't... I didn't get it when it came out. It was out, live two. But that was my that was <laughs> live my live two was mine. That, that was my sweet fold out on the vinyl. Oh, was it was just so good. Yeah. yeah. And um, when I found out how sweetened that record was, mm-hmm. um, I was you know disappointed. It is and, a bummer, right? Yeah. The um, record label and the band put out that record because at the time 
they just weren't selling records. They weren't, you know, they were doing okay. They had a couple of, of minor, minor songs on the radio, but they couldn't crack it. And then when they put out that record, that was the one that had Rock and Roll All Night on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the hit on the radio. And at the time, there were so few live songs that made it to the record. Maybe the Peter Frampton one, Do You right. Feel Like yeah. I Do, and yeah. maybe a couple of other ones. I want you hit, to want me. Yeah, I feel like that's here the and most there. famous, right? Sure. And then after that, though, everybody got into kiss because that record was like you need to hear this and That's then right. if you love it you need to see what this band is about it was like i wonder fit. how many people actually bought this record and really wanted to see the hip afterwards i will tell you that my anticipation for this record was such that any of my friends that weren't into the hip i was like you just wait. You need to listen to this. This when this live record hits, yeah, you're gonna hear. I'd seen them probably half a dozen times at this point, right? And uh, I knew what they were live, and I was like, if they can ever get that onto a onto wax, yeah, then all bets are it's off. over. It's yeah. it's done. Like these yeah. guys are gonna be explode. It's like okay, the Grateful so Dead, like Fully, forever Fully was more. supposed to do yeah. it. And then Day for Night should have done it. And then Henhouse should have done it. But this is going to be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. And then it came out. And it didn't seal the yeah. deal. Look, this came out in 1997. Since then, there have really been a lot of live albums that were spectacular. You know, Springsteen managed to do it. Or really. notable. Pearl Jam's done a dozens and dozens and dozens of everything they do pretty much yeah Yeah. springsteen still continues up until this day he just released the roxy from 1972 Mm -hmm. like a couple of weeks ago but those were all albums from before there's not a lot of artists that if they put out a live record people would lose their minds over anymore you know know, which is which is a shame because i think you know the way music and the popularity is going, where more people are listening to pop and hip-hop that doesn't lend themselves to great recorded live music no. and albums. because it's, it's visual. It, it, right, yeah. And you can't change a note on there. So, no. I mean, you know, maybe in the 80s, it, that was just, you know, that's where it, it reached its peak. And then if you are a rock band and you survive for longer than a decade, eventually the record label will say, look, if you guys want to take eight months off, this is what we'll do. We'll do a greatest hits and then we'll go do a live record. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. There was something to me about the fact that one of the things that stood out about the Tragedy of the Hip to me was that they played two-and-a-half, three-hour shows as well. And I pulled the setlist.fm from Cobo Hall, and they actually trimmed a whack of songs. Mm -hmm. So the the disc is 14 tracks, but they played 22 that night or 23. They did that with uh, Stop Making Sense as well. The original release of Stop Making Sense is only like 12 tracks when there's 18 in the show or in the film when you watch it. Um, And it drove me nuts. Why isn't that on there? Why isn't Cities on this album, you know? Because um, at the time, too, you can only put 72 minutes worth of music on a CD. Uh, so right. yeah. once you started to, oh, once you started to make it, it into a double album, mm-hmm. you didn't offer any deals. If this yeah. record was 19.99 in the stores, it would be 39.99 for a double album. I wouldn't album. have even thought about Not that. Me either. Yeah. What no. time, yeah. But now you can do it. Yeah. Now, if somebody's sitting on the tapes, you don't even need to manufacture. You can just stick it up on Spotify yeah, and there iTunes. You go. Of and course, yeah. There you go. Because yeah, you're missing, um, what you're missing is uh, track 10 was Daredevil, then oh. Flamenco. No. This is called Flamenco. It's a summer night. Take your kinks out and play with them. 
Oh, boy. Then it comes back to New Orleans is sinking. Mm-hmm. Don't wake daddy. Scared. Boa Haido. Nautical. The wherewithal. And then they close the show out with thugs. Every time you go, fire in the hole, locked in the trunk of a car, and oh, little I, bones. Oh, yeah. So they did 23 songs that night, which, you know, was better than two hours for sure. Yeah. But I hadn't even considered the 72 minute no, no. mark because mm. oh. that was a oh, yeah, I that was a big that. deal when yeah totally when yeah, Def Leppard sure. released oh, yeah. 67 I mean, minutes before on the CD. Hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also too, if the CD wasn't even around, you could only get 22 minutes worth of music on each side on a vinyl record. So you would only have like eight songs of that whole like 22 odd odd yeah. night anyway. That's why those 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 live albums were always double. Like yeah. Bob Seger's was a double. Live at Leeds was a double. Three sides live was a double yeah. seconds out was a double almond brothers was a double grateful dead was 72 albums you know it was <laughs> it, it was always like you know trying to trying to milk you know 30 bucks off of that consumer wow you know? i'd often thought if this had been a concert film it might have had a deeper impact but that was kind of like there that was a popular thing to do because stop making sense was such a yeah. huge success but then like you know, six, eight years later, Rattle and Hum is such a, yeah. <laughs> People did not like, yeah. don't do this. <laughs> this is terrible. It seems so self-serving. And I love I that do. record, by the way. Rattle and Hum? I do. It's got great tracks. I do. I, I'm a big fan of that bombastic version of U2. But, but, <laughs> but I hear you, though. Like, when I was doing, when I was at the record label at Koch and, and E1, we were releasing a Bachman and Turner um, live in New York DVD and Blu-ray and we rented out the Cineplex theater downtown in Toronto to show it for one night only and I started to see more concert films kind of being brought back but solely all the, as a nostalgia thing sure. it was never like we're going to go do this like I see every now and again Purple Rain gets released in the theaters or Sign sure. of the Times and stuff but yeah you know considering how many documentaries are now focused on music, like the mm-hmm. Tom Petty one or the Elvis or the Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. Pearl Jam one. It, it, it's way too long to stick it in the theaters. But I think that that time of, yeah, are people even going to theaters as much as they used to? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's not a whole other this, thing. Probably, yeah. You know? Yeah. They d- uh, did the Beastie Boys... Awesome! I fucking shot that. Did that get some? I feel like that got a theater. That release. was in theaters, but for yeah. very, very, really for a briefly. very short time. Yeah, and it, that was very good. Yeah. And did you? Uh, the Beastie was. It's. Phenomenal. I've never seen it. Well, what they did was they. I don't even. I'm not sure how many cameras uh, they handed out, but they just handed out cameras. Say I don't know, fifty or something, two or a hundred, to fans as they were coming into their seats, and they were like, just film whatever you want, and then give the cameras back at the end. And every single person gave their camera back, which is amazing. <laughs> wow. and, like a quality camera. And they just filmed the entire set. And then they pieced together the concert from everyone's footage. That's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it's all it's everywhere and it bounces around and it's up close and it's far back and it's watching people just rapping along with them. Like Ben Stiller's in the audience rapping along and something <laughs> filmed him. It's pretty good. And like that's neat. And that's like, you know, so that kinda that works, you know. I, I think when you have people who are so Visually compelling as well as their 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 uh, the musicianship, it's almost a disservice to not offer that. Like, and part of what helped the hip blow up so much were, were the videos and Gord being so of course. fascinating. Who to is watch. this person at the? Absolutely. Yeah. Like he defines, you know, frontman, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, 
the band is, we've, we've covered this a lot. The band is a tremendous band mm-hmm. and they have cut their teeth. They've toured back and forth across this country and they've become really tight and mm-hmm. really good mm-hmm. at what they do. But the, but the value add, you know, is, is this guy standing in the center who is flailing about yeah. and doing things with his um, uh, microphone and ad-libbing and just the way he sweats even. My yeah. God, it, yeah. it's so visual. And utterly unique. Utterly it's unique. Compl- there isn't a reference point for it, like, oh, this is the evolution of whatever thing. It's not like it's coming from a Robert Plant frontman background or, you know, even Jagger. Sure. It's like it's com- something completely different and utterly fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it's there if you've seen them live or really like if you can let your mind's eye open a lot you can you can see it and feel it in this live album but it, it needed the i think to really have an impact 100 I mean, percent agree with, I, with them not being an internationally successful band maybe there isn't the money there for it maybe i don't know uh uh you know video fact wasn't going to show up and <laughs> you know really amp right. up the, the budget or something but it, i think it really it could have been something enormous at this time period because this is we're right in know, the pocket again. Yeah, yeah. We're right. We're right there, where there's you know five records in a row that yeah. are all and this is almost this is almost a victory lap. Honestly, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Even though Henhouse, as we were discussing online with some people today, it was kind of mixed reviews when it came up, but we all know better now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think you nailed it with the, the the Hangover, right? Like there were a lot of people that yeah. grabbed onto that. That's, yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so the, the Hangover of the '90s, the dream of the '90s. <laughs> yeah, I think that there were a lot of hangovers back, yeah. back then around this time, and oh, you yeah. you take a look back at all those artists that are kind of forgotten about that they were competing against all of the the grunge light movement and yeah. all these bands that had one or two songs and then just disappeared yeah. that are now back on the nostalgia tour and and it just seemed like you know you can't fault bands for that you no, know no, they're no. they're not supposed to survive longer than 18 months yeah. you know for the <laughs> most part you know um, just the fact that they that they lasted this long in order to to continue to do what they and were doing great. Some, and sometimes it, like, it makes sense, which is like, currently what's happening with a lot of... You know, Rob Zombie touring with Marilyn Manson. Right. Whom, you know, and great, they're both big names, and that makes sense to me. And then there's the other big tour going around that's uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Bush X, and The Cult. That's like, a, yeah. I don't know. What the fuck is that? That's just like, yeah. are you 43? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you know 10 of these songs. You know, like, that's just... Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's the, if you don't like this song, just stick just around for a couple of seconds. You'll hear one that you love. You know? <laughs> who's, um, who's headlining that? I don't know. They're, they're all mixing it up. Okay, they, yeah. Because, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. the cult should, right? Like, I, I guess mean, so. I guess. I don't know. I like the cult. So. I, yeah, I got offered tickets to that. I passed up on it. Yeah, I don't think I would go either. No, I don't but, like the cult. Uh, I tried to like the cult because well, it seems like liking the cult is like a really good time, but I just can't yeah. get there. I don't know what it is. Well, you know, there's other ways that you can see everybody from high school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Exactly. That's great. <laughs> so as far as the live experience, uh, Eric, I mean... When did you experience the hip live the first time? Um, I saw their uh, their show at Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, and then I saw a couple of the roadside attraction tours. The one mm. with um, Mineral Oil. Yeah. That was amazing. Mm. That was a great um, 
and that's when I found out about Wilco. That's when I found out about Cheryl Crow and and all of these other bands that that they, you know, kind of was like, oh, this is this is the way that the festival experience should be. And then you yeah. went to go see another festival, and it was nothing like this. No. So it's like, well, this sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where's the hip? Um, so yeah, and then I I just you know they were always there. You know, I uh, once I once I saw them a couple of times. There's very few bands in my life that I need to see over and over and over again. And I kind of wish now, of course, like most people, that I saw them every time that they came. Because you realize how special they were in relation to what else we would get to see for the rest of our lives. And now, you know, it's funny because whenever somebody dies that's in music, I'll usually get a call from the local TV stations or radio stations to talk about them. And usually I feel like a priest giving the last eulogy, you know, giving a four minute, you know, talk about how or why this artist was so great. And when, you know, anybody passes away, I'll always say, you know, this is just another reminder that like, when these artists come around town, you got to go see them yeah. because you never know when they're going to retire. You never know when they're going to pass away. And I think it hit a lot of people home with Gord Downey in the same way that it did with somebody like Tom Petty, where it was yeah. like you just, you know, as big as this band was, you took for granted this band. 100%. You know, I was somebody who was heavy into the hip during the, you know, again, during that pocket segment. I got to music at work. I think I saw them 17 times between 93 and 2000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I saw them three times in the 2000s, yeah. you know? And, Life got in the way, right? And going back, like, God damn, they were at the Molson Amphitheater every summer. They were at the Key to Ballot. Like, I yeah. mean, they just did. Yep. And what was I thinking? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, as great as Life Between Us is, it's just not as... as I mean, it's a fantastic record, but it doesn't it doesn't supplement that need that I still have yeah. to like go and watch this quintet play live. Yeah. Like these guys just knew each other really well. They were like watching the nineteen eighties Edmonton Oilers. They yeah. were just just pros. They yeah. just and it's pros. the, the yeah. energy that gets created. You know, like yeah. you feel yeah. it in the room. I I didn't see them until uh, uh, Inviolate Light tour at uh, the Molson Amphitheater.
I did take it for granted a bit that they were just they were just always there, and I just didn't get around to it, you know. And I I was you know uh, allotted uh, being able to see like very few things as a teenager. It's like I'm either gonna go to this or to this, and it was like I went to the Lollapaloozas because that's where all my friends were going, and so I didn't see the roadsides because that's what I was doing. And then I you know I spent a hundred years working in the bars and live music shit for local stuff, and I didn't go to see anything for so long because I was always working mm. Friday Saturday nights, you know. And I finally saw them. My, friend, my friends bought me tickets for my birthday and went and saw them. And like, I think the Watchmen opened or something like that. It was the Watchmen. It was yeah. the Watchmen. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and, it, I, I, and having heard the stories and watched some video clips here and there and listened to this album a bunch of times, I was not prepared for being there. It's different. It and is. watching him do that, like I've never seen anyone do anything like that. No. You know, and I've seen some pretty crazy frontmen live, you know, and it, but it was different, and it, and it affected. And I was on the I was on the lawn, you know, and it was amazing up there because people were just singing every word and dancing and running around. There was this crazy environment yeah. that was so warm and focused, and it was beautiful outside. Man, it was a beautiful night. It was really just. I, I, I might walked, have been there. T- I might have been there with you because yeah, I was yeah. at that tour. And they, they I, played I walked two nights out there around. just like my heart had swollen. You know, it was like it was like the end of the, the Grinch. <laughs> 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 it was just it was three sizes. I, like I was drunk on it, and I thought about it for days and days and days yeah. after. I'm just like, man, what have I been doing all these years? Not going, <laughs> and it, yeah, it just it absolutely annihilated my expectations. And then what, whoever I saw after that, I can't even imagine who they were, like because oh, it wasn't this poor you know? bastard. Yeah, yeah right? probably Jesus Jones. Yeah, probably Jesus Jones. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah, Jesus yeah. Jones. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it brings. It, but you know, it, it's it's a fair question to ask sometimes. And and you know, without getting too deep into it, there are some artists where you like them, um, and you'll go see them if you happen to like the record. Yeah. And then there's other ones, like the Tragically Hip, you know, going back to taking them for granted. You know, there's probably a lot of fans who probably stop buying their records if they're our age, if they're of a certain age group. They probably stop buying their records after music at work. You know, like they, you know, maybe the 2000s or so, maybe they just Mm -hmm. got older, you know, around 2000s, I was like 30, 70, 80, 90. Yeah, 30 years old, 33. That's when most people stopped listening to music for the most part. I didn't, but you know, with relationship. new music. They just settle into, Yeah, you settle into what you know and what you're comfortable. It's like an old shoe, you know? Um, And then you realize that, well, you know, there's certain artists like Steve Miller Band or George Thorogood that come around every single year, doesn't matter what they put out. You yeah. know that you're going to get Steve Miller's Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2, yeah. and he's going to play Rockin' Me, and it's going to be great. Yeah. And, you know, George <laughs> Thorogood is not going to not do a show when he plays, you know, one bourbon, you that's know? Right, yeah. Like, you know that that's what you're going to get. With the hip, it's almost like the success or the lack of sales that they were having throughout their career, which... Everybody was like that. REM was like that. So many bands that that lasted as long as they have had their sales kind of taper off to something a little bit more comfortable where the pressure was off of them. I wonder if those people who went to go see them during the 2000s and and onwards when they weren't selling 600,000 copies, if they knew what they were getting into, knowing that Mm. this was the band that 15 years ago was at the peak of their power or was this the first time that they had an opportunity to see them because now they were of that age where music at work is now on the radio 
But then throughout the 2000s, they weren't really on the radio. No, no. They, not as much. They didn't no. have, like, no. the hits, like, obviously they did back on, you know, when CFNY like or The Edge. or like the last right. really big. Yeah. Like, like, heavy rotation on much music, yeah. for sure, last one. When this album came out, it was almost like it solidified them as a live band forevermore. So did the lack of record sales actually harm them from being that great live band to people when they saw them again for the when they saw them for the first time that kind of makes sense yeah no i get what oh, you're yeah. saying you know like if you go if you go see the who right you know four years ago you wish that you were back in 1972 sure you know and it's just never going to happen again yeah. so when you see the the hit for the first time in the 2000s are they still blowing your mind they, I think that, that can I, work th- for, i think so yeah for some bands that can work particularly if you're in a, a period where you're not producing hits but you're you know, remaining popular enough to tour. Um, or if still you're, putting out great records. Yeah, yeah. If you're kind of like unfettered by overwhelming success. Uh, I've, I've mentioned them a whole bunch when we keep talking about the hip, but I think there's lines. Sonic Youth never had a really true breakthrough hit. So they were able to just evolve Coach. naturally yeah. and just do their thing the yeah. entire time. Always on the road. Yeah. And I yeah. saw Sonic Youth in 93 or 4, and it was fucking awesome. It was great. I saw Sonic Youth in 2006 or 7, you know, in their, in their early 50s, and they put out a record that was way better than it had any business being. And it was better. They were better. Yeah. Than in the, in the 90s, in the heyday of their, like, we are, this is the, you know, like Nirvana's popular, but this is the real, right. you know. Um, and it was better, and it, it affected me more, and it blew me away. Maybe it was because I had, you know, 20 years of whatever being a fan, or well, not 20, but... But they know, also had 20 years more of playing. experience, and it yeah. was still... But it was still chaotic. It was still, you know, Thurston Moore... When Thurston Moore crammed a, uh, a drumstick through the headstock of his guitar and still played it, it was still jarring and insane, and, like, how, why does it still sound good? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think with the hip... The fact is, they were always there. They, um, their tours, I mean, stayed the course. Like f- from Henhouse onward, it wasn't like they were touring that much less. Um, they weren't just coming out and doing, you know, greatest hits summer shows. So they were still there. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's where they were victims is rock radio really stopped. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Like you said, CFNY and The Edge, um, in our city anyway. They became had, older and they became out of their demographic they of their did. audience. Like, where do you put them? Do you put them on, uh, on 104.5? Yeah. Uh, they're going to be on 107.1 yeah. for sure. But um, that's like a strange demographic that's listening sure. to that. Where do you, uh, so many uh, bands will always have that happen to them once they reach the age of the mid-30s. That's right. In Canada, it's like, where do you put Sloan? Where do you put Tom Cochran? Where that's do you right. put Jan Arden? Where do you put... Mm-hmm. Blue Rodeo. Blue Rodeo hasn't been on the radio, you know, in a, in a, in the big ways yeah. in decades. And yeah. so where do you put all these artists? And in the States, you have AAA. We have like the NPR stations where that's where you'll hear Ty Siegel and you'll hear all of these amazing artists that never get any commercial radio play. But, you know, around 35, you become out of their demographic. That's right. And you're not, you're too new for classic rock. That's right. There's, there's that piece. And then, and then that's coupled with the fact that like the mainstream went from being, um, like, like pop rock or rock or grunge and then grunge light to being 
straight up pop. Really and pop. And pop and hip hop. Yeah. And, you know, from 90, if you think of the number one records in 98, you know, it was, it was, um, NSYNC. And yeah, like back to back. Band. Yeah. The, the, the Backstreet Boys and Britney, Britney Spears, and Christina. NSYNC and Eminem. Yeah released records like one month apart that each did a million their first day or yeah. something like that. And it was like, yeah, when records were selling like 10 million <laughs> yeah, copies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, how does a, how does a band that like the tragically hip in Canada, how do they have a fucking chance? You know right. what I mean? Like of, of, of forget, forget international at this point, even domestically. Yeah. You know, so really interesting other than continuing to go out there and playing live and knocking people's socks off yeah. because until the last two records they were still at least platinum they were at least platinum or double platinum those last two records were gold yeah and in canada gold is only what 10, uh, 10 fifty thousand it's fifty thousand yeah. well i mean now it's 40. oh is it they yeah. knocked it down yeah they knocked it down because nobody's buying records yeah, where, where do you find a, a record anymore. these days yeah. Yeah. you know how do you tell how do you tell a mid 40 year old that your favorite band from the twenties that you may or may not read Rolling Stone or any, or exclaim magazine. Right. How do you tell them that your old favorite band now has a new record out? You know, mm -hmm. where do you go? You know, yeah. I, you know, I read 30 blogs a day, but I know I've got lots of friends who, you know, don't read any, you know, yep. they're like, what do you mean? This person has a new album. Oh, dude, it came out like eight months ago. Really? Because like they listen to the radio for fifteen minutes, yeah. right. you know, just to get on the TTC, so where yeah, they yeah. find out about something new anyway. So yeah, so but but you were saying like their their records went down in sales substantially. Yeah. Um, but I think part of that was the way that the industry was operating. But even if it was even if the digital side wasn't there anymore, there were still people that were selling forty, you know, you know, four hundred thousand records right. in there. Um, when you combine the digital, it just affected the hip because I think that when you play rock and roll, you are you're you're going to hit that mark. That's right. You know, you've been around for a long time. You you, you happen to rush. It happened to the, you know, to the best. Uh, you too, you know. Five star reviews in Rolling Stone ain't going to sell you another five million copies like no, it used no. to. No, not at all. No matter how much Jan Winter wants to put you on the cover. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So Eric, we asked you to put together your top ten tragically hip yeah. songs, not not live, just straight yeah. up tragically hip songs. Do I have the list? I've got the list. You've oh, you uh, you do have the list. Yeah, I printed one out for you. Uh, so I guess you know, I, I mean, it's gonna be like, pff, I can hear people yelling. Oh, what do you mean that this song? What about this song? Um, you know what? It's 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 the straight ahead stuff that I think there's always a reason why song become hits and the best songs become known to a certain extent um and so in no particular order do you want me to just start laying them yeah putting sure, them yeah, down yeah, yeah. uh new orleans is sinking uh 50 mission cap we kings grace two ahead by a century nautical disaster long time running little bones poets and 38 years old but if i have to pick mm. one um it, it's got to be little bones song is about a chicken salad sandwich of a girl i used to be in love with Take it down here. 
That song yeah. was oh, to me magic. one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever. I, I mean, when you more. first, I didn't get to hear it a lot in the clubs because the clubs that I, I was at didn't really play the tragically hip a lot. But boy, when that guitar kicked in, oh, it's, it's just astounding. Yeah, what absolutely. a great. And you know, they were just a, a really great rock and roll band. Yeah. And who just sure. knew each other top to bottom mm-hmm. what they could do well and what they didn't want to do and uh you know they're they're just and, and it's not until you you're older where you under where you you think oh wow i thought that that song was about this and really it's not about that at all and so that's why i had to put 50 mission cap on there because i wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago when i just realized how cynical 
mm-hmm. that song was. And and I'm and I I make fun of people like that all the time. Whenever I'm on Twitter and somebody will go like, you know, I'll ask a question of like, what song did you have at your wedding? And just to, you know, shoot the shit and have some engagement. And somebody will always write, you know, Every Breath You Take by the police. No, I'm like, that's not a love song, yeah, yeah, you know, no, or no, like no. Fall on Me by R.E.M. It's like, or, you know, The One I Love. It's like, that's not a love song either. And and for years, I, I thought that 50 Mission Cap was exactly what it was. Like, it was just, you know, and, and it wasn't until I was older until I realized that, God, this guy is like lying through his teeth, you know? Like, he, he you know, he, he made the cap look like that, you know? Like, <laughs> like how many years have I sung that song without even knowing like what it's all about you know uh, it, it, that blew me and which made me love the song more which I think makes me appreciate Gord's lyric writing well there's layers more. that you peel back over time you start to you know totally you think it's one thing you realize it's another or something that you just like like the sound of suddenly you you, you eventually find the meaning yeah. in and it goes down that rabbit hole that I was talking about you know it, it's one thing for for somebody to like muddy waters it's another when you dig deep and you find out more about his biological life and how muddy right. waters became muddy waters and how everything affected everything else that became this guy turning into muddy waters. When you look at Gordiani's lyrics and these things pop out at you, you know, thank God for Wikipedia, that you don't have to go to the, the reference library like Gord did to find out all this stuff. You could just go and go, who the hell is he talking about in this person? Or like, what, what, where is he going with this? And it just kind of makes you appreciate that much more until you realize like, oh my God, I've been singing this correctly, but with the totally, with the yeah, wrong yeah, yeah. impression, you know? And that makes me love it even more. Dynamite. Yeah. And every track on your list is like... Stone Cold Classic. Yeah. And if I, if, if I met someone who had never heard them and I was going to, and they're like, make me a tape. Like These are all songs they would have to hear. If you'd never heard these songs, these are absolute essentials. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like that. There, there's a, there's you know even with band that I love like like Genesis or the Who or In Excess, there's a couple of songs in there that I'll mention just to be like, well, that's a personal favorite of mine, you know, right. that weren't hits. But the hip, there there weren't really a lot that weren't hits because no, I think that they were just designed to be just because I'm a I'm a big fan of the song and they mm-hmm. just fucking nailed it with all of these. Yeah, man, totally. Perfect. Well, where can people uh, track you down? Um, um, in this building right here. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to leave. Uh, they can follow me uh, on Twitter at that Eric Alper, or they can visit the website anytime at thatericalper.com. Cool. Yeah. If you love, um, if you love reading, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, like it's my brain purging out every the, stupid fun fact. The that Twitter stuff is like music fun fact galore. Yeah. Like, and uh, yeah, it's all there. So it's, all, it's a lot of sure. fun. My wife is so happy I'm on social media because <laughs> she's like, I really don't care that you know what the kink song was or what would the what the B side was, and I don't really care that Jimmy Page was on this, but not really. You know, it's just right. thank God for Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks <laughs> for great. joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. All right. right thanks for coming out, everybody else. Uh, pick up your shit. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fully and Completely is a modern superior podcast. You can find out more information about the show at www.fullyandcompletely.ca. You can tweet us at 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 
fully podcast. Mm. And of course, you can find uh, more information about our show and many other fantastic shows at www.modernsuperior.com. <laughs> I came in there for that. That's awesome. <laughs> This episode has been brought to you by the Modern Superior Podcast Network. 